0: Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I have another exciting episode today with Vivek Panada, regional sales director for Nozomi Networks and longtime uh, contributor at GE. We'll get into that. Vivek is known to be thoughtful and fun. He's an analyst, but he is at his heart. He's an engineer and he is also a finance guy. He's a husband. He's a motorcycle rider enthusiast. Uh, he, he is a, a beginner or I guess a, a, the intermediate skier. So he's got some outdoorsman uh, aspects to his life as well. Welcome to the show, Vivek.
1: Thank you, Derek. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: All right. Well, uh, Vivek, as I always uh, start these shows, I basically uh, liken uh, cybersecurity folks as modern-day superheroes, and all superheroes have a backstory. None of you have fallen into some vat of industrial waste to, be, to become who you are today. At least so far, nobody shared that. But you do have a backstory. You started somewhere. So where where uh, where do you come from?
1: I grew up in South India. Um, it was. Uh, yeah, interesting, you know, having grown up in, in South India and, and become an engineer and and developed my uh, skills and control systems way before I became a cybersecurity guy.
0: Yeah, and, and that's you know, we're gonna talk about that, but that's an an interesting um, you know, where do people come from is a big question in this space. Are they OT people that that learn cyber? Are they cybersecurity people that learn OT? And of course we know the answer is a mix of both, but people come from a lot of different backgrounds. And I know some of our listeners, and I think this is, is has been one of the outcomes of these of these interviews. Our listeners come from many backgrounds and our community comes from many backgrounds. And so each of you has sort of a different journey. There's some common things. There's some elements. Some of you are engineers and, 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 and so let's, let's go back to, uh, you know, early, early stage. I'm always curious, do you do anything, you know, just any kind of work as a, as a young person? Um, you know, what was your introduction to, to, you know, doing any kind of, any kind of work?
1: It's interesting. Maybe uh, my early um, remembrance of uh any kind of work was uh, helping someone with gardening. And I came back and and told my mom, I was probably like seven or eight, something like that. I told my mom that, hey, someone wanted me to do this work and they paid me. She laughed and said, you can help them, but you don't have to get paid. And she was saying, you know, you can always help your neighbor with this, you wouldn't necessarily have to get paid for it. But I'm like, yeah, I can use this candy money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was mowing lawns to essentially afford some extras that uh, weren't possible if I didn't figure out a way to generate some, you know, a little, little bit of money. So it can be gardening. So I, 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 uh, I'm right there with you. What did you start thinking about as you're, uh, you know, going through uh, getting ready to go to university? And you've been, you've got a couple of degrees, but what was, what was your thought process? And any kind of technology introduction at that point of your life, or, or any sort of introduction to industry?
1: Uh, Not quite industry, but uh, technology. So when I was in middle school, um, I got in in a computer class and I loved programming. So I was doing basic programming at the time. So I've kind of had this technology bent. I was also interested in physics. So by the time I graduated high school, I was in a technical program. So I was already in electronics and communication kind of phase so that's what i did for my engineering as well because that's that was my interest and i was interested in computers and technology even prior to that
0: and what did you uh do then after your first degree which like you said i remember um, reading it was uh, electronics and communications uh engineering uh, broad application lots of things you could do with that what did you do first
1: well actually uh, i did my undergrad engineering uh part-time because i was working full-time so after my um uh, Technical high school, someone hired me as an instrumentation uh, technician trainee. So I did that full time. So I was studying part time. So it kind of went hand in hand because the work I was doing and the learning I was doing were all connected. Right, so I was learning electronics, and I was, and this was a time when uh, they were still teaching about CRTs and PAL and NTSC and all the other technologies that nobody uh, remembers anymore. But you know, I was also an instrumentation technician uh, in parallel. So my undergrad experience was kind of interesting because I didn't get a full-time college experience in my undergrad, which is why when I eventually did my master's, I wanted to do it full-time, and that's why I went to university as opposed to being a
0: part-time. That you had a motivation to say, now I'm, I want to try it this way, but i would i would I would bet then the the practical being able to do practical application while learning is i mean in my own understanding of sort of learning modalities, that's huge, you know versus it, it's all in theory for some college students that you know someday I'll go apply this, but I don't really know how you were you were at the time in the real environment.
1: Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I mean, you get the um, the work aspect of it. You also get the learning aspect of it. You don't get the college atmosphere, obviously, you yeah. know, the connections and the relationships you develop in college, right? You miss that part. But I had that at work because we were a lot of people together learning um, how to do controls and instrumentation together, right? We were like a dozen of us that were hired out of that technical school. So we had that group going, so I still had that. But yeah, learning what is... Uh, application focused, learning what is relevant at work and how you can connect a work life with your education. All that happened organically and I definitely enjoyed that.
0: And that was a power company, and you were in India at the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a fertilizer company that hired me as an instrumentation tech, but I was in the power plant section of that company. So Uh the first ever um, equipment I touched happened to be a GE gas turbine, so I have a long long relationship with uh, GE in that regard, that the first ever manual that I touched and the first ever equipment I touched happened to be a GE
0: system. Which is a great segue because I believe you had – Uh, until not that long ago, a 20-year history with GE.
1: That's right, yeah. I was a GE field service engineer for several years, and then even when I uh, finished my business school, GE hired me back as a sales manager and account manager to sell control system upgrades and cybersecurity solutions. So I was with them till uh, last year.
0: Yeah, and you did that in different geographies. You did uh, GE in, I think, Middle East, if I'm not mistaken?
1: Uh, All over the world, essentially, as a field engineer, you go wherever right? So I covered at that time, Europe, Middle East, Southeast Asia, Africa, different parts of the world, all the way from Indonesia, China to Angola, Nigeria, and then post-business school, I was based out of Houston, I covered different territories at different points in time, and different verticals as well, so Eastern U.S., Canada at other times, and then eventually I moved to Canada and I covered all of Canada for another segment and another um, responsibility.
0: So um, I'm curious, you know, this uh, span is going back as far as it does. Clearly, your track was coming from engineering and coming from operational technology and the fundamental understanding of those systems. Do you remember where security first pops up?
1: That's a good point. Back when I started selling control system upgrades, this was to power plants and oil and gas installations across the U.S., right? And these folks were, at least on the power side, were either NERC, SIP, medium, or high critical. So they had requirements for certain cybersecurity solutions and GE had one. So I sold several of those OTE security systems. And obviously it was interesting to me that, you know, this was a um, project that they need to work on and, and also part of compliance. So I didn't... Enjoy the compliance part for sure, but I definitely enjoy the technical challenge of uh, solving security problems. So yeah, yeah 2012, 2013 timeframe is when I uh, genuinely started taking more interest in uh, OT security.
0: Yeah, so about almost a decade ago, um, which in this space is is you know, like stepping back in time. There's a lot that has happened in 10 years, but that's that's back pretty uh, pretty far. I mean, I I think I was starting a cybersecurity startup in that exact same timeframe in this space and found out. I found out it was pretty early and has security stayed part of your uh your path ever since then or have you come in and out of it
1: in and out for the most part um i never left touch with it on my personal passionate front so even in the workspace even in my daily responsibilities if sometimes it was disconnected i had it all the time as my uh, part-time kind of passionate gig right so being part of the OT security community, being part of the InfoSec community in general, wherever I am. So I continued that even if in the workspace, sometimes I would do other things that were not always directly connected to security.
0: Do you happen to remember uh, a, a, sort of any first intersection on security, a project or or an initiative or, or a challenge that, that just popped up suddenly?
1: Of course, this is OT, nothing happens suddenly, right? <laughs> There's always
0: suddenly with air, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, someone sets it in motion, they ask a question. But yeah, I do I remember this one time uh, I, I walked into a product manager's office and I was talking to her about uh, you know what I have to offer and what solution we have. She said, uh, security is not number one. Right now I have a lot of things going on and you know, it's on the list and it's number 27. In fact, she gave me a number, right? Wow. And then a quarter later, a quarter, just a quarter later, I was talking to her about something else and she chuckled and said, it's actually number two right now. So within a quarter, it moved from 27 to number two because things evolve in the offensive side right on the defense side we're, we're kind of slow or methodical and, and they don't but in terms of you know what capabilities we see out in the wild and you know that that's an so yeah in, in this one regard i'll always remember that it jumped so quickly in her priorities
0: that is fascinating yeah i i, I wonder what was uh, happening real time uh because there are these milestones that spur uh activity cor- corporate activity right and uh buy-in or whatever you want to call it. They're they're, uh, maybe, um, they're, they're encouraged by a third party to uh, to take it more seriously. Do you happen to recall, did you choose security? Because uh, you're backing up and thinking about people who are at different parts of the career path. You're an engineer. And there are a lot of engineers out there that that might find this a very exciting area to get into. We know we need a lot more people. Did you choose it or was it chosen for you or was it an opportunity offered to you? What, what was the nexus to sort of start specializing in and having, you know, um, I mean, it became part of your, like you said, it was a role. You, security was added to your what you what you were selling and what you were you were doing. Um, how did that come about?
1: Right. I, I definitely chose the path because I liked it. Right. Yeah. It's it's security is such a fascinating concept. Right. So a lot of people that come from the military background uh, naturally gravitate towards it because they're used to it in their um, you know previous experiences. In, in our world, in the traditional ICS world. Uh, security happens to be disconnected. And that's one of the challenges we still have in that security is another discipline that you need to study and you need to spend time and effort to learn to be able to adapt and and utilize it in your day-to-day. So most engineers choose not to because they have enough on their plate to be specializing in what they do, right? If you're a controls engineer, that's good at tuning PID control loops. Or if you're a startup engineer that knows how to start gas turbines, security is not something that you think about. So in my case, I enjoyed the security learning aspect of it, the constant learning that is, is actually unheard of. I think, I don't know of any industry, maybe healthcare, maybe doctors need to be constantly you know, aware of whatever latest modern things to be able to practice their um, uh, discipline you know, in, in a regimented fashion. But uh, security, in my mind, is such a constant learning process, right? So I enjoyed that part of it, and obviously – it is critical infrastructure, it is helping the society, it's helping ourselves help the society, there's so much at stake in OT security that I I enjoy that. And so I definitely chose that path uh, more so than, you know, it's something that I have to do.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. So um, any advice to engineers out there that are um, let's say they have an interest, but they're not really sure what to do first. And I guess we get those questions, you know, in chat during a lot of our live events. How do I break in? How, what do I do first? Where do I start? It's daunting. If you look at it and say cybersecurity in general, and let alone cybersecurity in all the types of control systems and industrial settings and things like that. What would you, you know, and I know there's probably more than one answer to this question, but what would you recommend somebody maybe do if they're like, they're they're inclined, they're interested. And we we both know there's huge job security in gaining more experience in this area. We're, we're short, you know, millions of people in general in cybersecurity overall. The problem in industrial systems is even worse because you need to have cross-discipline knowledge, and so that limits the field even further. What 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 first steps come to mind? Yeah, I
1: mean, that's a great question. In general, uh, I think the job security that you talk about will be here for another decade at least, maybe 20 years, right? I'm certainly hoping in the future security, especially in OT, will become more like safety where you do it naturally, organically, that you don't think about it, right? So, But we're not there today. So job security, at least for the next 20 years, probably, right? In terms of engineers wanting to come to this, now is a great time. I mean, it would have been better a few years ago, right? But it was a lot tougher because it's hard to kind of figure out where to start, like you said, Uh, but now we have a lot of resources, right? Including such as yours, like CSA's webinars, we have, uh, you know, the S4 on RAM, YouTube videos, you have SANS, free sessions everywhere, a lot of webinars, a lot of industry content, a lot more people being vocal about it, a lot more uh, learning resources available you know Joe angle he puts this you know uh, list of resources together in one place says a department of homeland security icsjwg there's so much content available right now for engineers wanting to start and expanding ot security that it's a lot easier now right so then you know once you kind of know what the field is like and what the requirements are and what we're trying to do then it's a decision you have to make whether you want to be just a um, a sideline operator that understands the lay of the land and does what you're supposed to do, versus wanna take on a more active role to say, I actually wanna make a difference. I wanna jump in and actually do these things because we need we need more engineers for sure to do this, right? We have a lot of IT engineers that are learning the OT language, OT speak and willing to help. And we have a lot of engineers that are really good at what they do, but we have very few people that know both these disciplines. So the more engineers that can come to the IT side, learn the IT lingo, learn the business lingo, right, and then connect the dots, the better. And and we certainly um, are helping ourselves with all these additional tools that are coming out these days.
0: Yeah, well, no, great great advice, and I think I share your view that it's a multi-decade. You know, if, the argument can be made indefinitely because we're it's not like the attack surface that is is fixed and we're, you know, it was someday it'll be better. We're just, at, the surface is getting more complicated and more multi-layered and we're connecting more devices and IOT devices and things in our homes. And so that, the, you know, we're not trying to fix a finite problem. We're trying to fix a problem that's continuing to grow as faster than we can fix it. So it seems like that's a, um, a daunting challenge, but also huge career opportunities embedded in there.
1: I agree. I mean, it's a challenge today. Um, we don't know the future, how that evolves. Um, I, I use the example for safety because, you know, 30 years ago, or um, well, 40 years ago, you know, safety was a problem, right? So Piper Alpha, and and that changes that led to OSHA and and you know you know the various regulations that came in. But now in the critical infrastructure industry, uh, in any vertical, safety is paramount. Like right? you know, we do these safety briefs, we start meetings with uh, you know safety moments. Essentially, it's ingrained in the culture so much so that yes, we have investment in safety. Yes, we have tools and resources, but pretty much everybody is aware of their part their part that they play in safety right? and they just do it versus in security, it seems like we're still disconnected. We have few security people and everybody else that don't want to talk about security or they feel yeah. like security is a hindrance. So I think we have a development phase still to go through to get to where OT security is mature enough to be just part of the culture.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. We, we, there's a safety culture. Like you said, it's super well established. You know, uh, 482 days uh, in this facility with no incidents. You know, it's everywhere, right? And PPE and just all all these sort of methodologies and and people take it. I mean, it's it's embedded. And we're not we're not there for, for for secure for cybersecurity. You're absolutely right. And I think that's a great call to action that we you know can we how can we move towards that that future state. Talk about any any career challenges you know and 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 sort of. 20 years at GE and you did, you did a bunch of different things. You know, I don't know how you would characterize or, or anything you, you would sort of remember from from those years, uh, favorite moments or not favorite moments, uh, but any, any challenges, sort of career challenges and how you navigated them? Does anything come to mind there?
1: Definitely, right? Like with any big company, I mean, GE is a huge company with many divisions, uh, I had some of the best moments in my life with learning, with you know interacting with people, um, and, and and doing different roles, right? Because uh, being such a big company, you can always get different roles, you know, some um, that are just incremental with what you're doing, and others that are completely different from what you did in the last two years, right? So I had all those different aspects within GE, you know, right, from being a field engineer all the way to a sales manager to a service manager, um, so. Definitely, you know, and then, of course, you, you remember good things more than the, the bad things, right? Uh, not necessarily bad things, but uh, I was doing more things that were not security related, and I wasn't too excited about it. So for a couple of years when I was doing things that I could do well, and that's why I was in those roles, uh, but they were not security related. So I kind of felt like I need to take more direct action. That's when I actually, you know, paid myself to go take a SANS certification, learned a ton more, networked a ton more interact with a lot more people, and then, you know, put myself out there. And then I got a call with someone that said, hey, I, I like what you're doing, and I'd like you to be part of my team.
0: Yeah, and you're talking about that, that's when you left GE because of that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, which I think that's important, too. There's people who are saying, know, well, what what happens here? So you put yourself in the community. I think you picked up the GICSP certification, right. uh, which right. my heart having helped create that. And so, by you create exposure essentially. That that is, I think, another one of those things that people can think about. Like, how do you do that? You, if you join working committees, if you join a standards body as a volunteer, uh, when you get involved in getting certifications and you're part of the certification holder group and you're communicating, often uh, there's ways to communicate within those groups. You create exposure for your 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 career path to be viewed by be viewed by others.
1: I agree and I think that there are two things that some people um, struggle with right so most engineers uh, might struggle with putting themselves out there talking about um, you know themselves or talking about what they want to do. And so that's something that you have to overcome because if you don't explain to people what you're trying to do then obviously they can't help you right number one number two. It can be a quid pro quo, right? Just because you did something to the community or, or you know, attended a conference or network with a few people doesn't mean you get something in return. Like that never works, right? You have to do things because you like doing them, right? And then organically, it connects the dots because our industry is small, even relatively um, compared to IT, obviously a lot smaller, but compared to number of ICS engineers or number of any other disciplines, this is a small community. So if you're contributing actively and if you're putting yourself out there for being a, uh, a team player, like trying to help anyone that is in need of something, could be communication, could be writing a piece of paper, it could be just you know helping organize teams calls. It doesn't matter what it is, People just see that you're you're now actively contributing something. The next time they need something, they might ask you, or next time they have to go to a conference like Sarah Flux did, and she was gonna go to a conference where she was invited, and then she calls me and says, I can't go, could you go? It's not something that I could have gotten without her actively, you know, pulling me in. Right. So yeah. people help you out when you help them when they needed something.
0: Well, I think that's that's some of the, there's a golden nugget or two in every one of these sessions. And that's certainly one of them right there. That's, that's golden advice. You know, there's all sorts of sayings, pay it forward. And, you know, other things that sort of go with what you said philosophically, right. which is, you know, you do these things and you're active and you're, like you said, yeah, I did this thing. So there should be a result. That's probably a false expectation, but do these things and be involved and and plug yourself into the community. And a lot of stuff comes back from that. And you're planting seeds, you know, so to speak. That's right always ask this, this question. I'm always curious uh people's experience with mentees, being a mentee and being a mentor and what role that has played in your career path.
1: That's an interesting question. Uh, Because my career was not linear, right? So I jumped around because I wanted to do different things. Like when I quit my uh, field services role, um, my manager at the time that I had a great relationship with, uh, he was surprised because here I am, a successful field engineer, people wanted me to, to go to their projects and I wanted to walk away. So I never really had a mentor, but I had a lot of good managers, right? People that supported what I was doing, always asked, um, you know what I would like to do, and you know what things are evolving in my mind. So right from you know late 90s when I started working as a technician, I when I had a good manager that taught me um, how to be. Um, flamboyant and 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 be out there. Like, th- this was a person that I can never match what he did. <laughs> uh, it, it, he was, you know, so out there, always thinking about five years into, into the future, you know, doing things that are cool, right? So all the way to some more disciplined managers that, that were very methodical, that, that had an analytical mindset, taught me how to be disciplined and tactical, right? So yeah, I had a lot of good coaches and good managers. Uh, and that's what I try to do as well. Like, I don't Formally take on any mentor type roles, but I'm happy to spend a half hour, one hour with people to say what worked for me, because that doesn't always translate to people, right? You know, what worked for me doesn't necessarily have to work for the others, but it gives them ideas about what they could be doing based on what they like. So that's kind of mentorship uh, slash coaching slash guidance that I think works for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's right. There's not a one size fits all, and and uh, a lot of these things are finding what works. But I suspect you found the same thing I have. This community is quite open. Like you said, formal mentorship has a sort of a, a connotation to it, but just giving advice and saying, yeah, sure, I got a few minutes. That is really common. And uh, and this community is very, very open to doing that uh, with with people who ask.
1: I think more than any other community, I've never heard of anything like this, In this community, in cybersecurity, you have so many people spending their time directly with individuals, publicly on webinars, doing conferences, doing talks, doing research projects, publishing on GitHub. I've never seen anything like this. In fact, my wife chuckles every time I say there's an event or something that I'm going to. She's like, how come? Like in other worlds, in other disciplines, this doesn't exist. People go do their job, and then they go back to their regular lives, and then forget about their day jobs. In our world, it seems like people are involved 24-7, for good or bad, but they're constantly out there. So, yeah, if you need help, you can definitely find someone that matches everything, whether it's gender, background, discipline, region, geography, um, specialization, whatnot. You'll definitely find that person that you're looking for.
0: Yeah. All all you have to do is ask, right? I mean, that's the that's the barrier between uh, really interesting uh, dialogue and and uh, knowledge acquisition is is uh, is opening up and asking
1: and it doesn't even need 6 or 7 degrees of uh, kevin bacon it's like one over like if you're yeah. even remotely you know present on twitter or linkedin i'm pretty sure within like one to two degree connections you'll get to the person that you're looking for that will help you out
0: yeah yeah for sure so talk about one thing your your path engineer cybersecurity but you take a you take a branch that not everybody on the show has done and you go into sales so still cybersecurity and obviously you know in the industrial control system area and you're in Azomi now where where did sales come in for you and that's not everybody's thing that that journey for you you know when did that start and clearly you've been doing that's been a part of what you do at GE and and now subsequently you enjoy it and I'm, I'm curious what you might share on that part of your journey.
1: Yeah, definitely. So back when I did business school, I interned uh, at a company called AMD, the chip manufacturer, um, in a finance uh, internship role, and I, I realized really quickly that I wasn't cut out for corporate finance. Right. And so it was a it was an interesting uh, opportunity for me. Uh, and then uh, when I graduated, I, I was lucky enough to get another role in finance as well. But by then, I realized finance wasn't for me. And then when GE hired me, uh, they took a chance on me in the sales role because. Uh, They were uh, expanding a new vertical and I was the expert technically in that product line. So they wanted me to go sell this product line to a different region, different, different focus. Um, But they did take a chance on me in sales. And then, of course, I got trained in sales while at GE and I became an account manager. I was pretty successful at it because I had good managers, like I mentioned before, that worked with me. But I definitely enjoy sales. I've been in sales for about 10 years or so. And I enjoy that uh, in, in our world because... You know, sales is multifaceted, right? You have some people that are relationship you know, relationship focused, so they bring connections and then they let someone else do the talking technically. Whereas then there are people like me who are quasi, you know, technical salespeople that understand maybe one to two degrees further than a typical conversation, so they can answer questions that are first tier, second tier. That way, you don't need a technical person to actually answer and, you know, come in. That way, I don't have to say I'm just a dumb sales guy. Let me bring someone else in. So I enjoyed that part of uh, having conversations with people that. I relate to quite well, right? So the engineers on the other side, the OT engineers um, that I can relate to because I've done that kind of work in the past. Sure. Similar to the IT people that, you know, are cybersecurity focused and learning OT, they obviously know a lot more about IT security than I do, but I can connect with them on the stuff that they're learning right now and maybe fill in the gap. So I definitely enjoy that consultative portion of it where you're engaging with multiple stakeholders and then you all take a business case together to the ceo or the executives uh, at the plant or or the vertical right and then convince them that you know you're solving a business problem by investing in this product or solution so i definitely enjoy that part so if you're not um, enjoying that consultative approach, you wouldn't do well in sales. And I I do enjoy the part, which is what made me a successful salesperson.
0: Yeah, that's, that's all. you were, in effect, your own sales engineer.
1: In a way. I mean, I wouldn't claim to become a sales engineer on the expertise level because they live that world daily, right? So my sales engineer, for example, is the expert because he's constantly on the tool. He's working through the different facets, looking at the help test tickets. He understands what the daily implementation rigor or the problems look like. Uh, I'm not to that extent technical right but if a customer asks hey can we do this i should be able to organically think yeah it's possible right instead of saying yeah we can do this and then have all kinds of problem in the back end because you should have <laughs> never committed to something in the first yeah. place yeah that's a subtle difference there
0: yeah yeah that, that makes that makes total sense uh talk uh, briefly about uh one of your projects that i that i'm excited about you and i've talked about previously Talk about. Uh, The top 20 secure PLC coding practices that you and a group of people have been contributing a lot of of time to that. Um, Just maybe share a little bit about what that's about as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating project, right? So a couple of years ago when um, Jake Brodsky did this presentation at S420, you know, he likes to say this. He compiled this from a lot of other people, right? Isaiah was the one that started some of the concepts there. Uh, Jake combined his experiences and, and pulled a few other thoughts together. And then Sarah Flukes, you know, took this project uh, to the next level by working with Dale and Jake and put this project together. And, uh, you know, we, got so many signatures. I was one of the people that just volunteered. There were a thousand people on this website. um, And then we were all putting our examples and experiences together. And uh, uh, I happened to have some more free time at the time. So I say I could organize these calls and then I set up these teams calls. So every couple of weeks we had a bunch of people, engineers, OT professionals, maybe one or two IT people that came on board, uh, put together these practices, which we we all genuinely believe that it'll make a difference at you know level one security product security implementation security. There's a lot to it uh, about. Imp- implementing these practices that could help people uh, without having to uh, invest a lot of additional dollars or additional resources in the future. And for the past two years or so, you know we worked on this uh, a year ago or so we you know officially released a, um, a practices list and since then we've been uh, communicating to more integrators, more asset owners, more vendors about this project. So uh, I think it's been a, a very interesting community driven project that's gotten, I think a lot of uh, visibility, thanks to you know people like Dale Peterson that that championed this and said, yeah, this is something that the community deserves.
0: Awesome, yeah, check that out if you haven't looked at it. It's the uh, top 20 secure PLC coding practices. The great, uh, great evidence of community uh, effort and and like Vivek said, over a thousand people involved with that. So Vivek, as we sort of getting near the end of uh, of your journey, anything if you looked back, if you were sitting down with your younger self uh any anything any words of wisdom or advice you would give your younger self
1: that's a good question i think it's always good to have a plan right it's always good to see where you would like to go in the next three years or five years and then um take action towards it in my career many times i did things at the spur of the moment you know something seemed interesting i jumped on it in whether it was good or bad you would only do after the fact, right? Six months later, you're like, oh, I didn't quite enjoy it, so let me go do something else. That's fine, too, but I think uh, if you have a plan, uh, whether you actually achieve the plan or you evolve over the next few years, that's fine. But, uh, yeah, I would recommend people to maybe take a more um, long-term view of where they want to be what they want to do. That would be one suggestion I would give to myself, probably back in the 2004, 2005 timeframe.
0: Good advice, yeah. Um, People don't often... uh take you know the time it's because it is a commitment right to spend some time on it but even uh you, even any any effort to sort of say let me think ahead and sort of and, and writing it down a lot of people also don't realize the power of that you we record that in a different part of our brain when we when we write things down and when we you know when we review it and um so i i'm a i'm i I'm a big believer in that i think you're absolutely right that that could pay uh pay a lot of dividends uh it can be also useful to go back and look at years later and read and, <laughs> Uh, and
1: laugh and, and at what you thought five years ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It was looking forward. What what excites you about the future? And, and and there's a there's a you know that question in general, just what excites you about the future. But also there's sort of a question there when people have asked. Uh, certainly people entering our workforce have asked if I you know is there an area where if I became if I gained expertise in that I would become yeah. you know potentially more valuable. Uh, you know, is that is that artificial intelligence, machine learning? Is it you know um, uh, blockchain technology? You know those sorts of things. Um, so, what are you excited about in the future? And what do you think are area, an area or areas that somebody might gain or specifically focus and gain expertise in uh, to become uh, become valuable, so to speak.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, in my personal life, I'm, I'm excited that you know we're we're now here, right, in the OT space in 2022. You know, I'm personally passionate about OT, so it kind of combines with my work life as well. The time is now, right? So years ago, we always used to think, yeah, it's coming, OT security is gonna improve, you know, this is the next big thing, but it never really took off like it is right now. So I'm really excited about today, right? The future, uh, what i really like to see is that we do something beyond security, that security happens to be a tool, security happens to be an important piece, but machine learning that you mentioned, digital transformation where you're now, able to do something much more optimized, right, versus doing it manually or doing it on a periodic, periodic—if uh, I can say the word right, periodic basis, things that involve a lot of manual labor that we can reduce, we can cut inefficiencies and, and make the world more efficient, both in critical infrastructure and otherwise, I think it makes a huge difference, right? I mean, we have challenges about climate change. We have challenges about resource usage. We have challenges about energy globally. We have these massive infrastructure challenges that it's imperative that we fix some of these problems now so that future multiple billions of people otherwise will struggle, right? So we have every reason to um, evolve and also Definitely expand what we're doing in critical infrastructure, just because that's the right thing to do, and that's because our, our next generation depends on it.
0: Well, those are uh, great parting words and a charge—a uh, charge to to uh, members of our of our community for um, for something important. I mean, it's right. We have, we have a mission here, and I think that's a uh, uh, appealing to um, a great many of us that we're. Um, it's what we do, but it's also important. And <laughs> there's some professions out there that I don't think they can claim that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, so um, anything else that you would want to share with uh, with anybody thinking, you know, early enough in their career that they've got choices to make, any sort of career choices, any words of wisdom, uh, anything else, you know, through through the sort of process of preparing for this interview that that came to mind?
1: Obviously, you know, if I were uh, a future um, rich person, I, well, let me back off if i were really that good in predicting the future i'd be a rich person that's what i meant to say <laughs> <laughs> however you know if you're uh, if you're starting fresh in especially cybersecurity right uh, i definitely recommend ot security cuz traditional it security is relatively static compared to ot security there's a lot more depth in OT security, there's a lot more value. And I think your skill set is going to go much longer because that's the other key, right? So you can learn all the cool things and you can constantly evolve, but you have to have certain basics and fundamentals that will stick with you for a long time. I think it, it sticks better in OT in my experience, right? Or my in my opinion. But in terms of where you should spend your time, I would recommend picking one or two specializations and, and, and learning more and, and get deeper expertise in it, but also not disregard understanding other aspects of it. So if you're a red team or if you like red teaming, for example, don't underestimate the value of understanding what the blue team does. Similarly, if you are a defense person, if you like you know, whatever network configuration and you wanna do something uh, that maybe some others would consider boring, that's great, but don't underestimate the value of understanding what the red team does or how they think because that's crucial. So anyone, um, well, of course, the the space that we have has a lot of potential, a lot of growth. So you can pick anything and be very successful. There's no question about it. Uh, You just have to make sure that you're learning a little bit of everything. Otherwise, uh, you're going to miss the big picture. So my recommendation is to go find your passion. Definitely find something that is interesting to you because you'll be learning constantly, changing things constantly. So be prepared for a lifelong learning experience in OT security or in general cybersecurity. That's why you have to pick something that you like.
0: Awesome advice. Thank you, Vivek. We are now at the at the uh, my favorite part of the interview where I steal Borrow. I'm inspired by whatever term you want to use from another show, but it's in good stand, uh, good you know, standing because they also borrowed it. So I, I um, I've always enjoyed Inside the Actor's Studio. Uh, it was syndicated in over a hundred countries, and James Lipton was the host for many years. He passed in recent years. I believe the show may still be going with somebody else, but he always ended his show with something that was called the Pavo questionnaire, which he borrowed from a French show. So I think this is more than 50 years. Uh, it, it may maybe even longer uh, that it's been used. The exact same questions. And so we asked some of the greatest actors of, uh, of our time uh, or, or actually of the last 30, 30, 40 years, you know, these, these same questions. So if you're ready, we'll end our uh, time together with the same questionnaire.
1: Okay. That sounds like a plan.
0: All right. What is your favorite word? Passion. What is your least favorite word?
1: It's a phrase, but uh plug and play.
0: What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
1: I like some silent time after I, Read a book or listen to an audible or something. I just like some alone time so I can think through what I read and what I can take away from it.
0: What turns you off? I
1: would say lack of empathy.
0: What is your favorite curse word or abbreviation?
1: (laughs) Uh, Probably the most common one, the F word.
0: What sound or noise do you love?
1: of water whether it's by a pond or a canal or a lake or even just a shower.
0: What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Could be anything. When I'm in the middle of doing something and any noise, is just very irritating to me. I just need that silence if at all possible.
0: What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Might be a teacher. My parents were both teachers, so I was always inspired by that.
0: And what profession would you not like to do?
1: Probably accounting.
0: And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh, God. Okay. I
1: think he'll say, oh, now you believe me.
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you, Vivek Panada, Regional Sales Director for Nozomi Networks and uh, well-known contributor in the cybersecurity for operating technology and industrial control system space. Thank you for everything that you, you do and for your years of expertise that you're now applying to our common problem and uh, and for all the give back that you do do in our in our community and for coming on the show thank you Vivek
1: thanks Kendra for having me appreciate it
0: all right stay safe and be well i'll see you soon